Welcome to the Mockingcast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm David Zoll, your host, and in just a few moments, I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Sarah Condon and RJ Heyman. We come to you every week to explore a few of the places where we currently see grace and its absence playing out in unexpected and compelling ways. Glad to have you with us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hi, you two. Hello. Hey. Hi. What do you got to say for yourselves? Oh, man. That's a deep sigh. What's going on there? It's RJ? been. A, it's been. Are they both your a... parents die in a car accident? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I guess it's not too no. soon. No. And suddenly, because they, because they didn't, everything is better. Oh my gosh! You're welcome. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you for putting my life in perspective, Sarah. Yeah, you're I welcome. really appreciate it's it. That's what I do all day to people. Exactly. <laughs> Are you, you sure we want to invite her? Bad. Are you sure you want her to come over? <laughs> <laughs> I will say, no, they did not, but it's been a hard couple of weeks. Like, mm-hmm. my, my assistant got COVID, oh, no. which was, yeah, and her husband did too, and so they're okay, but, you know, it wasn't great, and then Ash Wednesday, and... Did um, that happen? I mean, I just... Exactly. It was a very, it's been a very, for anyone in sort of liturgical pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. um, this is a very busy time of year, so I'm just... Uh, I'm a little. I'm a at, right at the moment. I'm a little burned out. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna name it, and I'm, I feel hesitant to name that. But I've heard that from so many people yeah. right now. Pastor, just people are burned. And my wife um, was taking a walk this morning, and she sent me this text. Here's a quote: A mom pushing her stroller right now, talking on the phone to her husband. Quote: I think you need to dig into your inner psyche because if you're going to continue to burn out like this, we are not going to make it. Oh no! <laughs> and my wife was like. Sounds oddly familiar, you know. <laughs> like not, not that we're quite there, but it was definitely her. This other woman's suffering was a moment of grace, and in my own wife's life, being like, "No oh. comment over here. No comment yeah. over yeah. here." Yeah, yeah. So, golly. Well, so that's how I'm doing. How How are you guys doing? Sarah, well, what's 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 happening? We had the ice storm last week, and oh, we course. didn't have power for five days or water for like three, and then we had to boil water. And my friend Callie came over, and she has three kids. We have two kids. It was like just a lot of us taking care of each other, which was precious. But also, it was like us taking care of each other feels a little bit like The Handmaid's Tale. So it was just like a lot. You know what I mean? Like when I had to boil a giant thing of water just to wash dishes, because they don't make a paper plate version of a boiling pot, unfortunately, <laughs> RJ, because I would for sure buy it. Um, yeah, what just, day did you run out of paper plates? Was that like day two? It was like, very what do we early do now? on. I had to get into my holiday paper plate collection. Um, Ooh, I know those. we got a big backlog of those. There's always Hanukkah like kids. seven of them. Yeah. And then I did that like very American, very of my neighborhood thing where like we got water and power back. And then I was like, it's time to exercise and go to the grocery store and like act like none of that trauma happened. And I'm not really sad that neither of my parents could call me. 
And then I had like a panic attack on Monday night. So yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a lot. It's, it was already a lot, but to go through something like that and to know that they weren't here to worry about me was like, like, I remember when my grandmother died, it was like, Oh, Meemaw is not here to pray for us anymore. Yeah. You know? And there was this, so when, when bad things happen. Right. And so, um, yeah, it was Sarah, really I remember, I, I think I told you on the phone, but I was like, I, 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 when this happened, I thought, I, during Harvey, Sarah just took the kids and went to Mississippi. Totally, 100%. And like, that's where she was for most of that time. I remember yes. having to record there. Like, yes. where you were recording there. And it just, the, yes. to, yeah. as if you needed another uh, reminder. Yeah, I mean, my mom definitely would have called like three days before and been like, you should just come here. And if the weather improves, you can just go back. So it was like, you know, and we're still figuring out the like the landscape of family in terms of what that looks like. Like I have a brother in New Orleans and I absolutely should have gone to stay with him. You know what I mean? Like we're figuring it out, but it's it is a new landscape. So it's different. Gosh, we ended up having like one of these things where it was like an unintentional snowcation thing for the kids. Uh. It, everything was upset and it kind of put everything topsy turvy. But it also gave me time to. Uh, fin- put the finishing touches on the Brothers Zal podcast, which um, it's like it's a limited so series. Good. Oh, you're sweet. Like I feel like I'm stepping out on you guys. <laughs> no, I totally. No, first of but all, I tried no. to make it very different. I feel that way a bit. I have Do some you? resentment, but I'll work that out with you later, Dave. <laughs> offline. I start. We started okay. listening to it this morning, and real. I just love it. I think it's so good. I think it's great for the. For the longtime Christian, I think it's great for somebody who's new to the church. I think it would be interesting for people to listen to who like want nothing to do with Christianity. Like it's really generous and, and interesting. Oh. You're becoming a media conglomerate, Dave's all. You I'm starting are. to feel Amazing. like a podcaster from my job and I'm I'm just like I'm so excited. I was just so excited to record today because I was like, then I then I don't have to listen to my voice for the next couple of weeks. Um <laughs> but I I am honestly TJ Hester, who is our audio engineer, worked his tail off and if the teach uh, we joke that my brother john who's on there he is the sarah of this new project Be- um partly because he's the he's the one who um throws the occasional zinger in that maybe needs to <laughs> land on the cutting room floor but he also is constantly throwing in music because he's a dj and so tj was able to put this incredible music to it and that's been a lot of fun so i've never i've never actually collaborated with those guys uh, you know that's who, fun i love it well anyway i invite people to check that out it's uh, just search for it and it's under it's also on it's on it, all the places where people get podcasts but let's move on to what we got this week um this first one was a little silly, but I also thought it was kind of a nice palate uh, cleanser or whatever you call it, the sort of opening salvo. It was in Slate by Rebecca Amaze Schumann. Bouche. Sorry. Uh, Amaze Bouche. Excuse me. Yes. <laughs> Amaze Bouche. <laughs> Amaze Bouche. <laughs> the, uh, the title is There's a German Word for Your Pandemic Experience. Mm. Now, I don't know if I've talked about it much on the podcast, but I grew up in Germany for a little while and spent a lot of time there. And those, I, it's, it's a part of my past I, f- I kind of forget about sometimes, but this hit me close to home. This is what she says. It says, during the otherwise Nietzschean abyss of the early pandemic, one of the few bright lights was a German word, Hamsterkauf, or Hamsterkauf, which first emerged during World War II and began circulating in German media last March. It literally means hamster by. This coinage described the act of succumbing to our basest animal brain instincts to hoard more necessities than we could ever actually need, much like the rodent in question. 
Ah, those delightful Germans. Always with the single word that describes a very specific thing that any normal language would never have a single word to describe. What over the past year, German, the German language has coined a thousand plus new terms that are specific to the now, the, the pandemic times. It comes down to this. You start with two nouns or an adjective and then a noun, and then maybe you add a verb and then you stick them all together. Uh, new superstars such as impnide, which is vaccine envy, uh, is, a, is a great one. But what about the particular cacophony of imperious voices bickering over how uh, to relax uh, social distancing and lockdown measures? Well, that's an Offnungsdiskussion orgy, which literally translates to an orgy of discussions regarding reopening. Uh, all the things I want to say right now are so inappropriate. Go for it. <laughs> she says, I could ruminate all night on such lexiographic majesty as Geisterspieltag, which literally means ghost game day or the practice of p- playing uh, soccer in an empty stadium. Oh, my gosh. Do you guys like uh, does any of these uh, trends or any of these terms ring any bells for you? I mean... Uh, a ghost, uh, a ghost play day, a uh, uh, an orgy of discussions regarding reopening. Um, do you have a favorite German word? Uh, Weltanschauung. I mean, so I took German in high school. Have we had this conversation? I don't know. I don't know. Same no. lady who was my choir teacher, and she uh, hated hated me then, and based on her social media comments on my post, hates me now. Um, she used to make me come in at 7 a.m. every day and scrape gum off the bottom of chairs with a screwdriver because I talked too much anyway. Um, <laughs> right? yeah. That didn't work. Going. I get paid to do that now, Miss Morgan. Um, but anyway, she, um, yeah, she did not do a good job of teaching us German in Mississippi. My friend went on to uh, major in German in Colorado thinking she had all these years of German and they were like, we don't know what language that is. It was not German. <laughs> Mississippi German by way of Mississippi Um, I mean I do love this idea that one word um, encapsulates so many different things Um, because I feel myself being in a moment right now where clarity is really hard to find and um, I love that like this these big words like offer like they kind of cut through everything um I, I mean, I, the, the imagery of ghosts, I, I, that's very powerful. Cause I, I find that it's like we, you know, in, um, uh, native American culture, there's in, in, I wish I knew which tribes, but I do not off the top of my head. It's been years since I studied this, but there's a, the concept of ghost dancing, hmm. which is yeah. to like, um, sort of perform what the ancestors did, but there's an emptiness to it. And this is like, the, there's. I mean, we can all be in different spheres, even sports aside, you know, where like, for example, we're all watching opera, you know, basically on our computers, right? We're not, we're not there. Um, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but, and it may just be because I'm so in need of comfort right now, but I miss going out to eat more than anything else in the whole wide world, like all of a sudden. Mm. And, you know, there are ways to do it, but they feel they feel like a, like a ghost dance of what it really is. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Gosh, there's a great we song by, many... by Robbie Robertson called ghost dance, which is really the the band. He, he's, he's, he's half native American. Oh, that's he, interesting. That yeah. makes me think of that. It's a good song. Oh. Rucker. Made me think of Farfik Nugent just because I like, uh, I like my cars. I own too many cars and we're about to 
I think I have to buy another cheap car for my uh, my 16-year-old, which means we'll have to sell another one. So the term, as I was thinking about this, it's not a single term, but the term which resonates most closely with my current state of mind is decision fatigue. Mm. I just have decision fatigue, you know? Um, constantly having to adjust and uh, pivot, you know, over and over right. again. People love um, that word right now. And pivoting. pivoting. We're pivoting. pivoting. They pivoted. Uh, I'm I like, mean, that, that was aren't we big, making a full uh, circle at this point? Like, what is that? Yeah. Like, what I didn't say, in addition to, like, you know, doing Ash Wednesday and stuff, we also, we moved to a tent this week. You know, we moved church completely so out awesome. of the church. I'm, I'm looking at a 2,800 square foot tent in my um, front yard. And when I woke up Sunday morning, there were 25 mile an hour winds and rain. And I was like, what is this going to be like? It was actually great. Church Good. was fantastic. It was Good. lovely and better than I could have. It was a real answer to prayer. But I just like, when, when will there be any kind of consistency to anything? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, um, and I and I could have just said, well, we're just going to shut down, and that's what we're going to do, and that's it. But I'm also, you know, I'm trying to have a space where people can get together and worship safely. You know, Sarah, and it's like, why? Well, I wish I cared less. <laughs> Sarah, something you said to me on the phone has been ringing in my in my ears, and it reminds me of the decision fatigue. I think it was either you or your husband. Said, it was Josh. He said, "I'm sick of learning about all the things I take for granted." Mm. I'm sick. Like, the, what's the word for that? Like, yeah, like, take for granted lesson of uh, you know, uh, like running water. Like yeah. Power. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sick of being reminded or learning of all the things that I didn't know I was taking for granted. Just how yeah. privileged I actually am. Yeah, and and so many ways. Yeah, it's yeah. Just... Like you cry, uncle. Like I don't need to know that I've been taking it for granted that you know the the roof is not bursting the pipes aren't bursting right. down to my desk you know right uh, it's uh yeah I, th- I, th- I think that a decision fatigue is is a very much a real thing rj um, yeah. maybe it's just pandemic fatigue i'm sure mm-hmm. that that's uh, it's all of it someone asked me how florida was and i was like i don't even i i don't even know you got yeah. florida, maybe you got well, florida what fatigue that, what's that supposed to mean like everything is so impossible and stressful right now you can't even yeah it's bizarre Sarah, I was thinking about you too because a, a person I was I was talking to about a, a an idea that a f- friend had for a book about um, the invisible people that we dis- we have the conversations with in our head mm. and um, it, call, calling them ghosts. I mean, it can be, mm. and in fact, everyone is is essentially invisible to us because we can. How do you ever fully know another person? But right. The way that the interlocutor that some of us uh, there was a, I think a New Yorker cartoon of of a, of a, someone getting mad that that their shower had been interrupted. They said I was just finally winning the argument with the person in my head, oh. you know, in the shower, and yeah. thinking of how much that uh, the justification element of it, like that we're always trying to win or prove something to someone in our mind, but it could be could be apparent. And it could be someone you've lost, but it could also just be someone who you've decided you really don't like or someone from your past who represents yeah. this, that whole world. But we're surrounded by ghosts in our minds. Uh, and we so are. Yeah. I mean, I um, have had, I've just, I've talked about this before. I've, I'm struggling so much with getting up in the morning, mostly because the dreams I have are so intense right now. There's mm. a lot of weeping in dreams. And then I wake up and I'm just like, oh my God, you know? And um, so I'm just, I've tried to find, (laughs) there are different weird people I talk to. And one of them, they're in all of the stuff I found. There's a beautiful portrait, like bubble glass, really old 
of a great, great, great grandmother. She was this Mexican great, great, great grandmother that I have. And um, she died when she was my age. She's an incredible human being by all accounts. But um, everyone in my family has always been like, oh my gosh, that portrait of her is so scary. And I'm like, nothing scares me anymore. So I put it up in my dining room and I literally like do the thing where I point at my eyes and then point at her eyes like almost every day. And I'm like, come on lady, Mm. let's do this. (laughs) Like she's totally like, you know, a ghost in my presence that I never knew, but, um, has become a force for me to even be able to make people breakfast in the morning. So It's funny how that happens. That's kind of beautiful because a lot of times people get tortured by this. uh, Well, then, Dave, as you were talking about ghosts, it reminded me of what what Paul writes, right? Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, but that's a diff- that's the type of ghost you're talking about, right, Sarah? Like the the encouraging ghost, a hundred percent. The the like they're 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 reminding us of what's true and that, that we're loved and they they have gone on before and like yes, life wasn't easy, but like they made it and they're on the other side now. And, but here's and, the uh, thing, like encouraging ghosts. I'm down for scary ghosts too, just because like if I see them, I will full on ask them if they've seen my mom and dad. Like. Mm our light started to flicker in our closet in a weird way. And I'm, I, before this happened was like kind of skittish enough that I would have like freaked out, run downstairs. I'm like, Josh, check the closet. And instead I ran and got in the closet and was like, hello, hello. (laughs) I'll take any ghost right now. Scary or not. Like that's That's, where we are. Have you seen them? Do you know if they're okay? You know, I love it. I mean, we've talked. We last we we ended the last episode with a song from Coco, and that's what it sort of. (laughs) That's that's sort of ghosts as guardian angels because a lot, a lot of times the ghosts I think we deal with uh, at least mentally are like they're voices of accusation. They're voices of the law, and they're sort of hey, I hope you didn't forget this time that you did that when you were twenty two. Like yes, just in case you're remembering, like you you really screwed that person over. Yeah. Um, uh, so I love the fact that or last the, week or 22 last, or last week or last week yes mm-hmm. um, well I also like the fact that occasionally uh, German which has gone out of vogue you know it's very hard to find German classes in high school anymore Sarah uh, they, there is still something uh, like Spritzengefühl like, I think that's like a, a feeling in the top of your finger Spritzengefühl that's what it is that's a, the, the sensation in the tip of your finger um mm-hmm. I love these things. Well, yeah, well, a gift I got for Christmas from my um, stepmom, from my my dad's wife, was a, a, a framed like picture of a word, a, a very specifically Dutch word, chazelich, which means a feeling of comfiness or coziness, like mm. being inside and warm. And and uh, that was a nice uh, a nice gift to get to be reminded of that that oh. concept. So yeah, chazelich. I'm saying it totally great. wrong, but for all of our Dutch listeners, <laughs> I, I await your hate mail. <laughs> Tim Blackman. I know. Um, I yeah, like, that's right. Tim. So we mean Tim. <laughs> By that we mean Tim. Yeah. Um, so uh, next, moving on, is an interesting article that appeared in the New Yorker: "The Age of Peak Advice" by Jamie Fisher. We are living in the age of peak advice. You can, depending on your knees, get life tips from Dear Prudence or Ask Polly from Roxanne Gay or Ask a Manager from uh, Dan Savage, even from food critic Mimi Sheridan, as though your life were an injudiciously cooked pot roast. The questions their columns address are both age-old and relentlessly modern. 
The anxious progressive can ask Lisa Featherstone in The Nation what to do about a friendship with a Jordan Peterson acolyte. People ask the urban diplomat for advice on their roommate's invading kombucha lab and what to do about their embarrassing Google search results. Well, with the coronavirus, the thirst for advice has become unquenchable. And yet they talk about, uh, they, um, she then talks about Cheryl Strayed, who, you know, the, the famous writer. Uh, she is the reason that advice became fashionable in literary circles. She opened the way for such spiritual heirs as Heather Haverleski, who we quote all the time, yeah. who was billed as an existential advice columnist in Ask Polly, and Kristen Dombeck in N Plus One. She had a column called Dear Sugar, and in which Sugar, which was her, who she, she, she sort of, that persona she took on, she suggested in the mold of Montaigne, uh, or perhaps psychotherapy, that the solution to your problems lay within you, provided you confront them with honest introspection and brutal clarity if not the force of revelation. The goal wasn't proper napkin etiquette or resolving a dispute with your mother-in-law. It was saving your soul. Strayed's advice columns were part of a clear step away from the detailing and reinforcing of norms found in Dear Abby and toward a liberating non-judgmental permissiveness that has steadily opened up a new vocabulary for how we express ourselves personally and politically. Uh, she then goes on to say that the advice column is often celebrated as universal. Trouble is the common denominator of living, Anne Landers declared in her memoir, Since You Ask Me, boasting that her letter writers inclu have included bank presidents, coal miners, sex workers, and nuclear scientists. But despite an ongoing transformation in who can give advice and how, advice isn't half as egalitarian as we would like to believe. Most of the columnists I spoke with guess that their readership is mainly white and female. A recent poll conducted by 538 found that more than 40% of men have never or rarely even asked their friends for advice. And I did not know this. The most ambitious American advice columnists work for less than two years. In 1957, Martin Luther King Jr. began writing Advice for Living, a monthly column in Ebony. Wow. Readers asked him whether playing rock and roll for a living was a sin, whether birth control was immoral, how he felt about nuclear weapons, and whether to fight in the army of a racist country. Installments poignantly aligned the mundane with the spiritual. He speculated on the nature of enduring love, bookended by ads for lustrous, lustrous silk hair straightener. Hmm. He asked a disgruntled parishioner to, quote, stay with the church and continue to sting its conscience. He told a woman who had just lost her five-year-old son to avoid self-pity. Perhaps most shockingly, he told a preacher in small-town Mississippi to risk martyrdom fighting Jim Crow. Wow. His words are hard to read and reconcile with the canonical advice column, which asks its readers to do what is feasible. King, instead, asks for the barely possible. He was either the best advice columnist or the very worst. There's often something... I know a worse one. <laughs> I did not know that, that about Martin Luther, about MLK. What do you think that's, about that? Or the whole thing? Absolutely wild. I mean, I, I read advice columns now. Um, mostly the one I read the most is probably in Real Simple magazine. Um, but it's, it is an interesting observation. A lot of it is like, I mean, it's just, I feel like it's just above asking people, like asking a professional, like how you're supposed to like set a dining table. I don't, it's, it's really is not, you know, it's a lot of interpersonal kind of relational stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't ask much of people that, I mean, that's such a fascinating observation. Um, especially like it doesn't ask much of people in the way that like, if I were reading 
Dr. King telling um, a pastor that he he needed to put his life on the line, the way that that, that broad sweeping suggestion would then impact my life, you know, um, it's just really that that's really interesting. I mean, it, it makes me think a little bit of people perhaps not turning to the church for advice anymore, which is. I think a little sad. I mean, I think that that for me is like a real beautiful thing about college ministry is like people still ask me for, you know, my students will just but just by the sheer fact, right, that I'm uh, in the next stage, I'm probably two or three stages down life patterns than they are, right? But I'm not far as far yet as their parents are. And so they will ask me for advice. But like, that is definitely not a thing I had experienced in ministry before. Yeah. Um, you know, people don't come to their pastor in the same way that they used to. And so what it makes me think of is how people often turn to Google. So not everybody is writing into these advice columns, but people are definitely, I mean, the kind of Google searches people, I mean, one of my favorite ones, I don't, I can't remember if we talked about this, but it was like when people, and I guess they still do write this nonsense, but when people write hashtag like best husband ever, is like one of the most popular hashtags, but one of the most popular searches on Google is why is my husband such an asshole? <laughs> the great unanswered question. <laughs> so yeah. like, when you figure it out, let Jamie know. Yeah. I have, I have some people who'd be very interested in the answer to that so question. So it's, but it's, but there's like, and, and we laugh, but like there's not an answer. And that's such a, it's well. a therapeutic question, but it's also like an existential question. It's a spiritual question, right? It's, and, and, and the, you're getting this kind of flat non-answer answer in so many ways. So, yeah. Wow. Marjay, what do you think? I was thinking how, if we are in the golden age of advice giving, it also does strike me, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, but since the pandemic hit and everyone sort of basically lost their mind... Um, life hacks are not as much of a thing, maybe, mm. right? Because a, a life hack is just something you're doing to sort of optimize your already great existence or something. And if and if those have gone away and what they've been replaced with is advice columns and specifically more existential advice columns, that to me is actually something of a hopeful sign, right? That people maybe are looking for slightly deeper answers as they are encountering more difficult questions um, and more difficult situations. Uh, you know, my wife who um, listens to a lot of podcasts because it's how she maintains her sanity while endlessly entertaining our four-year-old um, mm-hmm. said the the amount of advertisements for online therapy is just through the roof. Yeah. Like it's un- it is unbelievable. It's just every advertisement is some new online therapy startup. Um, but then, you know, uh, she heard and it was, she mainly listens to true crime podcasts. Like, that's that's her thing. What a beast. Yeah, she just, she loves it. She loves it. Um, so as I said before, if I ever disappear, um, Jamie did it. Uh, but Or we can but, hire Jamie to find out who did it. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly but right. But we'd have to pay her. Um, but she did, she was, she was listening. Was it an advertisement or something? I can't remember. But someone in one of these context of like therapeutic podcast was saying something like, you know, mental health boils down to hope and hope boils down to believing that against all odds, for whatever reason, the universe, quote unquote, the universe is, is on your side and things are going to work out okay. Mm. And I was, and, and she said, that's a Christian idea. Yeah. 
right? That that's no like no other religion is going to be like everything's basically going to be okay because the universe, the world, aka God, mm-hmm. is on your side and it's going to be okay. So so take heart, take hope. And yet that was like the the base message of of um, one of these uh, sort of therapy advertisements, which I thought was um. What does really King himself say? Like the arc of the universe bends towards um, justice or goodness or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, towards justice. mercy. Exactly. Yeah, but that's yeah, a yeah. that's a fundament. That's not a pagan idea, right? You know, that's not a that's a Christian idea that there is that that the the truth of the universe is love, mm-hmm. is grace, is mercy, ex- acceptance. At the end of the day. Um, I mean, the universe, it, like, actually fundamentally is a cold, dark place. It doesn't care about you at all. But anyway, yes. But the God who created the <laughs> yes, universe yes. is, yes, just, the God yes, who created. I, I, I know that, what you mean. You know what I, I mean? I, like, when people I say the universe, I'm like, girl, pull nope. out one of them books about the stars and let's start talking about the universe. <laughs> I agree, but what I'm saying, I'm 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 speaking more on like a Tom Holland in the Tom Holland sense, I know, right? That this I know. this this idea in Western civilization that the the arc of justice bends towards or arc of history bends towards justice mm-hmm. or mercy. That's a Christian idea. It's just mm-hmm. another way that that the message of the Bible, the New Testament, has suffused our culture. Mm-hmm. And even if you know, as as John Zoll said, you know, talking about AA, um, you know, we AAers talk about a higher power. But they're really talking about Jesus because only Jesus does the kind of work that alcoholics need. And he said it, it's like knowing the name of the girl across the lunch, or, or knowing who the girl across the lunchroom is, but not knowing their name oh. is the way John Zoll puts Come it. On, like John I Zoll. love, <laughs> I know, have, and, having and you a can crush on her. Have more insights the... like this I on the Brother Zoll podcast. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but okay. So, so let me say one more thing. You know, Sarah, you talked about not turning to church for advice. In some ways, that strikes me as a healthy thing because I think if the church sees its role as giving ad, like good advice, like Dave, when you're talking about Martin Luther King either being the best advice giver or the worst because he asked for the impossible, I'm like, well, talk about let's talk about the Sermon on the Mount, right? Right. Talk about impossible advice. And as I was talking with my wife today about sort of burnout and and what do we do and how do we survive and. You know, the, the gospel passage for the Sundays is um, sort of take up your cross, right? And how that's not something we choose to do, it's something that's done to us and is being done to all of us right now. Like we are on some sort of, of, of cross and being forced to, to give up all these different ways which we justify our existence. And my wife is like, blah, 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 I'm tired of hearing it. Tell me what to do. Mm. Give, me some, give me a way out. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you know what? Peter hated it too. Yeah. Like, you know, get behind me, Satan. Like, we don't, I don't like that message, but we, I don't know if I believe in advice giving. I believe in, in um, the presence of God, in death and resurrection, and in, in, in hope in his presence that, you know, but I don't. Well, Sam Bush had a very, giving. had a very funny column that he put together on Mockingbird this week about basically doing nothing. Uh, because I, I, it's yeah. some, some like urban legend that I think Native Americans said February was the month of difficulty. Like uh, oh. and it or and cer- certain cultures didn't even have didn't even have February names is the worst. for January and February. But the idea is being is don't make any large decisions in February. Don't just yeah. don't even don't even try. Don't give it unless advice. you live in South Florida. And, and so then. He was, <laughs> He was like, I know, I know, you're so tempted to, to to take advice, but here, just don't do anything. You know, remember? That's so good. It's a really, yeah, really good. clever column. I should have had it ready to read, but it's. I'm, um, a, I'm about to. I'm about to use that advice and take all these family photos and documents and put them in some big weatherproof bins and shove them somewhere. So I'm going to use that as a. 
you a could divine u- word. Use it as a, yeah, exactly. I don't have to go through everything right now. One of the, 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 like the rise in popularity of advice columns, I mean, I, I am a sucker for these, especially like I really love the Heather, Heather Haverleski Ask Polly column. And if you see it, what she really does is she uses um, another person's predicament as a almost like a jumping off point for a, a incredibly interesting discursive uh, personal essay. And I think that what happens is that uh, in that a person feels seen. Like yeah. even if yes. even if the advice at the bottom of it isn't isn't something they're going to take, and I think a yes. lot of her quote unquote advice is really just um, demonstrating the depth to which she has seen this other person, mm. and um, you know I'm I'm all for listening. I was uh, uh, just thought to myself in the, the therapist office the other day, like that how just powerful it is. Um, uh, how a person often just solves their own problems if they can just hear themselves speak sometimes and get out of their head. And for me, that means like turning off uh, whatever music I'm listening to. But um, it, it so, so to me, this um, it does say something about our searching, our yearning for some sort of authority. <laughs> I want someone mm. to tell me what to do. I want someone to, who's, yes. who knows more than me. Like, and I don't, I don't trust yes. the other structures. I don't trust my family. I, but you seem to have some wisdom. And like, for myself, there's a there's a flailing about to it. And yet, uh, I think it's kind of cool that they're going to writers because these are actually writers mm. that are that are giving it. Like Rick, uh, uh, Rick Moody, I think is doing one too. And. Um, I don't know. I, I, I and I agree with you, RJ. Like, I'd rather the church not be the place where people come for advice. And yet, I also recognize that this does connote a turn away from the church as an authority over sort of everyday life, which is a little sad. And yet, it it yeah. it, it affirms the church's role as a place you can go. My my younger brother said, uh, "A church at its best is the place where you go with your uh, love and your grief." And yeah, I mean. Because advice isn't going to be enough. Well, it's not going to be enough. It'll maybe get you through the day, but it's yeah, anyway. Continue. But you, I would go. argue against both of you that <laughs> oh, good. every single one of those things that people write into every single advice column is all a question of do I give myself mercy or do I give this person mercy? And that the church should be very good at, mm. right? Yes. Walking people through that. I mean, I think they are all questions of grace, right? Yes. So do I give myself grace? Do I give this person grace? I mean, the number of columns I see about, I don't speak to my parents. I don't speak to, you know, whatever. How do I navigate this? Or, you know, I saw one a few weeks ago. I was like, oh, this lady's got time on her hands. But she's like, you know, a friend borrowed a shirt and it got a stain on it. And I want her to pay for the cleaning bill, you know. And the, the lady was like, do you want a friend? Or do you want $7? You know, like, but that's all a question of grace and mercy, right? So, I mean, I think yes. that's what I mean. I wish, I actually think the church has a lot of good advice. It's just advice might not be the best word. The church but, has yeah. a lot yes. of, of, of answers. Wisdom. Yeah. And, and, yes. But when uh, what I'm saying is that when you go to a, a clergy person demanding that they fix your life with concrete steps, like they can do, th- and they spend all their time having to plug holes in like, like little, mm-hmm. it, it's such, it, it almost like is a, it keeps... It keeps their their energy away from being able to proclaim grace and mercy yes. to that person. Why are you or laughing? With your kids what did I say, like, what did here, I say here, that take... made Sarah? She can't hold it together right now. I, say it. I once had a, a a guy call a a church I worked at, 
And he couldn't get his mother, who was elderly, to take a bath. And he wanted me to come <laughs> over. And I was like, look, now I'll put her in a lawn chair on the front yard with a hose. But that's all I can do. but that's yeah yeah. i mean so to your point that i mean that did take some it didn't take as much energy for me because i didn't put too much into it but i mean it you know yes we're not good at all those things but that's classic actually because people definitely come to church and they're like fix this person for me yeah 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 fix my husband for me fix my kids for me fix my parents for me like you did yeah fix them make them you know baptize my grandchildren their parents don't want it yes Mm -hmm. yeah well, um, speaking of what the church actually can, I, I think all we could all agree on uh, do, is this is a fascinating um, uh, essay from a, a writer named Matt Ortiel uh, saying, I can't defeat my grief, but I'm learning to carry it. And what mm. it begins with the observation that a lot of video games have characters whose parents have died at the beginning of the mm. game. And like the and this is um this is sort of we're talking about role playing games but like Zelda and stuff like that. But there's it's a it's a frequent thing. Also and, like every Disney princess. Like I'm finally getting to be a Disney princess. It's true. Like you go through there there, there are articles that go through every Disney movie. It's All like, your dreams are coming All true. All my Sarah. dreams are coming true. <laughs> this is what uh, he writes. He says dead parent storylines in video games are meant for the most part to give a character depth. Mm. The loss of a parent, whether distant or recent, illuminates a protagonist's motivations, their traumas. Their grief becomes a plot point, an emotional state to overcome or from which to grow. It gives a character dimension. It makes them ostensibly more interesting. In Fire Emblem Three Houses, that's the name of a video game, your avatar character Byleth grows up without a mother and loses their father, Gerald, in the game's first act. Gerald is killed by the antagonists and his death affects everyone at the monastery slash magic war school where Byleth teaches. The students try to comfort their favorite professor, two girls bake... It's a church, a.k.a. Bake- church. <laughs> two, two girls bake desserts for Byleth and other offers to help them get revenge. He writes, I cried on the subway when Gerald died. His death is unsurprising. The dagger sits on the mantelpiece the whole time. But as I watched the normally stoic Byleth weep over their father's body, some primal part of my brain knew that I'd soon have to do the same because he's writing this from the point of view of his his mother having uh, terminal breast cancer, having Mm. died. Don't push yourself too hard too soon, the students tell Byleth in three houses. It's okay to allow yourself to be sad right now. I ran with this advice all the way to Hyrule. That's the, that's the world where Legend of Zelda, Zelda takes place. In The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, Zelda loses her mother at a young age, just as an ancient evil threatens to destroy the land. To banish this malice, Zelda must awaken her goddess-given abilities, but cannot without her mother's guidance. Her father is more king than parent, and so her oppressive insecurities, her abandonment issues, and Hyrule's great calamity are directly tied to her loss. He writes, I started Breath of the Wild, the Zelda game, just weeks after mom died. It's a mammoth of a game, and I finished it in a month. I lost nights and weekends to my grief, exploring post-apocalyptic Hyrule from my bed. One day, I met a young villager who vowed to honor her dead mother by mastering her recipes. I sobbed uncontrollably. You're grieving, my therapist reminded me. I worried I was gaming in excess, but she insisted, you need comfort. Allow yourself to play. This is my working hypothesis. Grief is not something to conquer, to defeat. After you lose someone, the goal is not to win. Mom's death doesn't make me, quote, more interesting, and there's no neat answer as to why it happened. 
but my choices still affect my narrative, the one storyline I get. For now, at least, I choose to walk ahead with grief alongside to accept its companionship, for it stands where she once stood. I choose to ask it questions to welcome comfort when I find it. And then she, he notes, as almost like I thought it like a direct uh, uh, line to you, Sarah. She says, for what it's worth, there are no dead mothers in the Pokemon series. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know Neil loves Pokemon Neil so much. Neil loves Pokemon. Um, that's so beautiful. I love that. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember when I got the call that said, the coroner's office thinks that they have your parents' bodies. I think about that call several times a day. And I remember thinking, I don't want this because it's going to change everything. It's going to change me. I mean, I remember like weeping and looking at one of my boy cousins. You know, they're we're all the same age and they're just so incredible. And saying... I'm worried this is going to change my face. Hmm. Like, I don't know where that came. It just like came and like it, and it, it has, and it will change everything. I mean, I, you know, I, I took a picture of myself yesterday and only later did I realize there's just a halo of gray hair coming through, you know? Um, it is a thing that is that is going to that is going it has changed everything and it will always be there. Mm. But what I would say is no, we don't overcome it. But for me, the experience of grief has been that it is always there, but the sweeter things are so much sweeter than they used to be. You know, um, I mean, I feel like I, I don't want to say too much about this, but I always feel felt like I wasn't the best mom especially to our first child when he was really little I just felt like I was really impatient and I would look at him even recently and think well I've only got eight more years with him you know and then he's gonna leave and then you know those first three years I could have been better and there's something about the death of my parents that has made me realize that none of that is true you know, that I still have all the time that I'm given with him, that I have my whole lifetime with him and with our daughter. And that that is such a sweet, sweet, sweet gift. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, it is ma- it has made the even the the good things even better. But it has it's it's just always it's like, you know, it's like that terrible footprints poem. You know what I mean? Um, only there's just always two sets, me and my grief. <laughs> We're just always like trucking down the beach together, you know, like, um, and it's funny who, who has the capacity to cope with this and who doesn't. I mean, I, I talked about that with my therapist actually this morning, that that is a very difficult thing about this is the people who I thought some of the people I thought could get this can't. And some of the people who I wrote off as never being able to cope with something like this have been some of the best people. Huh. And so you kind of don't, the, the hard thing about this is you don't know, right? Like, I mean, recently I talked to someone who had experienced catastrophic loss, not unlike this loss at some point in her life. And the first thing she said to me is, what are we going to do to get you over this? 
And that is, you know, maybe don't ever say anything like that would be a start <laughs> starting point. <laughs> I got, I got one, one tip for you. <laughs> oh my so goodness. it's it, but it is, it will, it will always be there, you know? Yeah. Um, and so yeah. you're not just, you're not going to delve into, we're not going to lose you to gaming, are we? I, I, <laughs> no, I was thinking about how much our son loves to play Zelda right now. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, who, who knows what you'll, you know, what, what I will escape into. I'm back in uh, reading about uh, Russian aristocracy and historic romance novels. So. Not the Holocaust. Not right now. Um, Trust the there was death. a lot of terrible massacres in in Tsarist uh, Russia. We can there were. You can find I can tell plenty you all about them. of tri- hold on to those. tribulation. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's there. I mean, I mean, you guys basically had a Russian experience in Houston this past week. I think. Yeah, so. we did. Uh, we did. But, I, you know, I don't know. I think it's it's. I don't know. Grief is such a strange. It's it is like a, a thing that's always there, but it makes you so fearless. Really? Like that has been the most beautiful thing to me. It makes me so fearless. Like nothing scares me anymore. Um, Because like when you've lost this much, you're just like, I'll dance crazy. You know what I mean? You're like, I'll check the closet and see if there's a scary ghost in there that knows my parents. Like you're just like, it's kind of crazy to me. The stuff that I'm not afraid of at all. Rutger, what, what do you think about this? I thought the advice that the therapist gave was like the best kind of pastoral advice, mm. right? That if, if someone's coming to me being like, fix my, fix this person I don't like, or how can I take my faith to the next level? Right. You know, like that's, I have nothing to say except yeah. uh, stop living in denial. Um, but if someone is is uh, like, gosh, I'm playing too many video games or, or uh, you know, what, <laughs> I'm not dealing with this well, or, you know, that thing of, it's okay. Like your your um, God is with you, and you're you're doing what you need to do right now. Be patient with yourself. Be merciful with yourself. Allow yourself to grieve. Like this is where you are. Where you are right now is where God is right now. Mm-hmm. Like that just strikes me as incredibly helpful and powerful. Wow. Um, yeah. And it made me think of you know all the things that I abreact to in the same sort of way. You know that I can't watch Tangled without losing, without just completely losing it. You know, uh, for a variety of reasons. But um, yeah, I mean, those are those are gifts, you know, little ways, things that just touch us in those places of pain. And and uh, and Dave, what you said, you know, and, and Sarah, you said this too, that people aren't really, they're not looking for, they think they're looking for advice. They're really looking for comfort yeah. and for hope, you know, and for um, empathy, just a little empathy. And that's why Heather Haverleski is good, because like you said, well, it doesn't matter what she said. It matters that she heard them. You know that she um, and sometimes feeling you won't feel heard until the person like puts up a harsh mirror and is like, "Listen, this is how deluded you are about yourself." Because a lot of those, a lot of those advice columns, by the way, are pretty harsh if you read them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't they all end harsh. with. They're sort of like you are out to lunch if you think so and so is ever going to come back to you. Right. Um, <laughs> but it, meaning, but what's conveyed, what sounds like the law is received as grace because a person's like, oh my gosh, this person takes me seriously enough to, to really care and say something, even even if it's completely condemning. Um, I was thinking about video games though, like I'm as a person who's not that into video games or and but I I do I was I have a brother. Uh, and you can hear about this on the Brothers Zoll podcast, uh, <laughs> who really got swallowed up almost like ruined his life by a video game that was not 
the play Final Fantasy. It was World of Warcraft, and it <laughs> World of Warcraft. Yeah. That's right. So I knew it was an alliteration. Damn it! And it and it became um, rather than uh, a coping mechanism, it became his entire life for a little while, and he sort of started to sneak around. and And uh, Simeon mm. talks about this in, publicly, so I don't f- mind saying it. But it, it, I want to say like. I love the advice, especially when she says, allow yourself to play. Remember we talked about play a few mm, weeks ago? Yes. And play, like my, my the, the, the transformative therapist in my life was a play therapist, even though I was older than that. But we work out all sorts of emotions. And especially, I think sometimes men who are a little bit removed from their emotions, and, and, and play can really help with that. You're trying to feel something. And yes. and uh, and video games, I think, are allowing this guy to process his grief in a beautiful way. But I also know that it can, it does have an addictive component, and it can. But Simeon, you know what Simeon said? He said he he didn't get out of the out of World of Warcraft um, because people told him to stop, and he he knew he needed to stop, and he knew his his wife said you've got to stop this. Um, uh, you know what happened? A, a better game came along. Um. Yes, his desire. He was, his, his desire was overcome, and it was, um, and that that new game proved less addictive. And somehow that was how God really extricated him. him from this. It wasn't through a cold turkey runaway. Right. It was like his desire moved from something that was sort of had 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 swallowed him into something that was a little more along the lines of what we're talking about. I thought that's very like, what's the name of that new uh, dating, dating app, oh, not dating, dieting app that everyone's all into right Noom. now where it's like, it, Noom, yeah, that's very Noom, right? It's not about stopping to eat food. It's about loving something else more. It's about having a new conception well, that's, of that's, yourself, that's which, which is true. That's Saint Augustine. I mean, that's like, yeah, yeah. you are what yeah. you love and I think that there is something true to that. Like the, 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 the desire comes first before the action and before the justification. Yeah. Uh, so I will say, yeah, yeah. The the game I've the only game I've ever really loved. I think I have played it through twice completely. Super Mario Galaxy. I'm a big fan of Super Mario Galaxy. So it's like it's like being in heaven. I liked it. Oh, I needed that's it. Nice. Yeah. Well, Mario Kart was yeah. a big part of my college Mario experience. Kart's my jam. Mario Kart. Mario, Mario Kart's Mario fun, Kart but it doesn't have the same emotion. It's competitive. It's fun, but like Super Mario Galaxy, man, was just uh, like you're you're flying around and you can jump really high, and the music is really beautiful. Music is beautiful. It's like a Japan, you know, Tokyo Symphony Orchestra or something, and I was into that. Well, I, I do that's think, so cool. uh, as we've said it before, but I think that the great, the great category for viewing the Christian life. The life of freedom is a life of play. Like that's the Holy Spirit is operative mm. in yeah. that. Uh, yes, the stakes yes, are sort of yes. gone. You can enjoy things for their own sake, not for what they end up saying about you. Or yes, um, the only time I get a reprieve from grief right now are things that are basically play. So yeah, like that's, I've never played so much music with my kids and danced as I do now because huh. it just gives us all a break. You know, that's great. Isn't that it? What I mean is that it's music? a lot of Dave Matthews, but. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> He's from Charlottesville. Um, he is, and I love him. They know all the words to crash. And no they have no apologies. idea what it means. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let's let's get to our last uh, piece for today. It's a really powerful sermon, in fact, from uh, Sam Well, Doctor Sam Wells, who uh, English uh, vicar who used to be at Duke Divinity School. And um, this is, the title is Things Too Wonderful for Me, The Book of Job and the Love Stronger Than Death. whole thing's good, but I thought we'd get to the, the, the last part of it was particularly striking to me. He writes, the, the story of Job is in the Bible, which means that the answer to Job's question about suffering and death is, in the end, Jesus. In Jesus, we see the story of Job played out in an intense form, most of all upon the cross. 
The words, why have you forsaken me, are a concise summary of the book of Job. They don't get an answer. For those three hours, for two nights that follow, it seems that God's love and God's power have parted company, and the whole of creation is a pitiless mockery ending in annihilation. But Jesus' resurrection once again unites power and love and shows us that we will not ultimately be forsaken. The reason why the book of Job is harrowing is not just because it's about suffering. Job is deeply troubling because it exposes something uncomfortable about most manifestations of the Christian faith. In most cases, our faith is based on an assumption that if there is a God, the job of that God is to fix human problems, ameliorate existence, and arrange benefits. In other words, that God is a piece of technology whose role is to improve our life. It's an utterly human-centered arrangement, a narcissistic faith. Not really faith at all, more the demand to honor a contract we never actually made, a contract by which we agreed to be born and God agreed to do the rest. We treat God like a government we voted for but then reneged on its election promises. The so-called problem of suffering assumes that God's role is to bring health and flourishing, and if God fails to do that, God is malign or weak. But what if God's role is to be with us always, in the person, in Jesus, in myriad ways through the Holy Spirit, and forever in heaven? God is not an instrument we discard if it malfunctions. God is the essence of all things who astonishingly chooses to be with us, even in desperate hardship, and even in the crucified Christ, in indescribable agony. That doesn't make suffering go away, but it turns God's engagement with suffering from a pretext for rejection into a reason for worship. So when we lie on our beds at night or on our deathbed facing eternity, we do indeed face the loss of everything. But the witness of Job is that we lose everything but God. The one thing we don't lose is communion with God. The one and only thing that in the end really matters. The source from which all blessings flow. So, and only so, may we rest in peace. So good. (laughs) I mean, this is like a land we live in right now, right? Like, I mean, I could have told you all those things from a theological vantage point, but like, that's the reality. Like we're right in the middle where, you know, the horizontal and the vertical meet on the cross. It feels like all the time of, you know, that we wonder about where God is in this. And we also trust that God has not left us alone. I mean, this is a conversation I had to have with my six year old just this week because she said, you know, mama, I'm concerned about why God let them die. And, um, you know, be brave enough to have those conversations with your kids when things like this happen, because, you know, one thing I've learned about children and grief is they often will find weird, very weird ways, especially when they're young, to blame themselves mm. for tragedy or to think that it's something that they thought or to think it's something that they thought about God, you know, that maybe causes to happen. And so as hard as it is to have those conversations, it's super important. And, you know, I just, I kind of, you know, offer her the only comfort I have to offer myself, which is, yes, I mean, it feels like our light has gone out. I mean, I said that to my husband a few weeks after it happened. I said, my light is gone. I have no light left. But God's light has not gone out and stays with us through all of this. And that is like the promise that we have. And, you know, that's all, that's all I can offer to myself. It's definitely all I can offer to, to my daughter. 
Um, Gosh. But it's hard. I mean, that's, you know, that's the space we inhabit. But it, it's a weird, it's like, I'm so thankful. Oh, I'm so thankful for Mockingbird. I'm so thankful for this theology, for, for, for it finding me, for God finding me in it. Because, you know, I know these things are true now. Mm. You know. I think it's a perfect summation, Dave, because it, it's, um, as we talk about advice giving, like this is an advice, but it's, it is a promise. And it, it, the promise does, it brings infinitely more hope and, and peace than any piece of advice could, uh, could ever offer. Um, just this proclamation, this truth telling also that, you know, we do face the loss of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, that that darkness is um, around us and sometimes um, within us and, and sometimes mm-hmm. we're right in the middle of it um, but it's not it's not the final word um, and that image gosh of uh, all like everything just being over when Jesus is on the cross you know the the death of God the death of everything the death of all hope and yet it wasn't you know it was it was and then it wasn't um, and I hope, I don't know, I hope there's a resurrection on the other side of this crazy death we're all experiencing um, individually yeah. and collectively. Well, Sarah, you, um, didn't you preach a sermon along these lines, didn't you? Can, uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't about this. And, you know, I mean, I I don't know. I'm going to turn it to RJ in my preaching where I'm just like super Holy Spirit led, uh, as opposed to like maniacal. Don't mock me. Don't I'm mock not, me. I'm not, I'm not, I mean it sincerely. Like, you know, I'm such a, like a maniacal manuscript preacher. You know that, like, I don't say a word if it's not typed in 12 point times new Roman. Um, and I don't have the ability to do that right now. So mm. I preached on Monday night and I just sort of looked at this group of students and said, you know, it just feels like the goalpost on hope keeps moving. And I know that I have my own personal reasons why it feels that way, but just collectively, it's like, you know, we're going to get a vaccine and everything will be better and we're going to do this and everything will be new and, you know, all these and it, people are still suffering enormously. I mean, like, mm. guess what? 2021 didn't get any better. You know, I done told y'all the new year doesn't mean anything. Nobody <laughs> listens to me. You all think it's going to get better. Um, so <laughs> everybody always gets mad at me when I say that, but it's true. Um, but, but the thing about Lent, you know, now we're in Lent. And of course, everyone wants to like, you know, control Lent now and, and have the best Lent. And, you know, my friend Callie, who I'd spent so much time with last week, had this just great vision of like, I just love it, of like, we all think we're like running towards Lent, but we're just like running in place. Like, I'm coming, I'm coming, you know. And really Easter is moving closer to us. That's actually what's happening. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And mm. it's such a beautiful, oh. isn't that, I mean, it's just such. That's good. It's just so good. It, you, we were talking, I love this. We were talking about that in the, also in the context of um, her her son who's four is is sort of renewed clinginess with her. And, and when she drops him off at school, he'll say, um, are you going to pick me up? I'm going to need you. 
And I was like, that's exactly how Lent feels. Like, we're all looking at God like, you're going to pick me up. Easter's coming, right? I'm going to need you. Because we know no matter how much these goalposts on other things get moved, Easter is going to come. Easter moves closer to us every single day. And, you know, there the, that's that's hope for me. That's the only place I can find hope right now. Mm. So that's a, I mean, what a what an image to end on. Easter is moving closer to us. It's so good. Good. Callie Pitcock, she's a Presbyterian minister. She's fabulous. Callie's basically been... I get little sermons on my morning walks in suburbia. How lucky am I? Kind of an angel from God during this time. We have... um, Because Lent is such a screwy thing to be going through. Remember last year, someone tweeted like, I, I definitely didn't mean to give up this much for Lent. <laughs> and, then, and then this year... We had no idea. Mick Sweeney's was like, I put up a, com- a cartoon where it's like, well, if I was enjoying anything, I might give it up for Lent. Or, right. then, and then the jokes are just... And then McSweeney's like a letter from God to the human race saying... Uh, don't worry about giving anything up for Lent this year. I, I get it. You know, you've, you've given up enough. You're good. You're good. Um, Sarah, give me that line one more time from Josh. I'm sick of what? Oh, I'm sick of finding out more things that I was taking for granted. There you go. I think that's yeah. that's uh, that's where I sort of want to end with um, with with Lent with. Um, we don't need we don't need another we don't we don't need another Lent. I don't. I get it. <laughs> we need, I don't need. Yeah. <laughs> we need an Easter, and every day, and oh. as as even we've been recording this podcast, it's been getting closer. Yeah, and that's the, yes. that's the promise. That's not oh, it's not a roadmap. Chasing such a us. good word. It's not an oh, advice column. I love that. Well, let's end there. Thank you, guys, both of you, and we will talk again in a couple weeks. Um, have a blessed Lent. <laughs> Thank you. You too. You too. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can find us on the web at www.embird.com. And we'd always love to hear from you at info at ember.com. Audio production for The Mocking Cast is provided by TJ Hester. And if you like what you've heard, please drop over to iTunes and leave us a rating or review. Until next time. Praise the Lord.